Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of The Charting Room, a podcast where today's hot topics meets mental health conversations. This is Kivon here with a reminder that the views expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests. This podcast is meant to be informative and entertaining and is not a substitute for one-on-one medical or mental health care of any nature, nor the suggestion of any diagnosis or treatment. Remember that only a licensed provider can evaluate your situation, provide a diagnosis, or render other medical and mental health advice to you. Now, let's dig in. Welcome to the charting room. What's good? I'm kind of bummed I don't have a rap today. It's okay. You can always freestyle. Uh-huh. Or not. Or, just, <laughs> or not. Such a, a hater to the left of me. Isn't that what you always say? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How are you all doing? It's good. I'm good. Today was warm. It kind of nice beautiful. outside. It was beautiful. Got a little vitamin D. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, it was so nice. I think it was like a high of seventy five. Mm. Yeah, it yeah. was a it was summertime weather. Oh. Yes, yeah, definitely good. Nice. Even had my toes out for a little while. Ooh. Some went down. I put them back up. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I was shaking. I was shaking. So it's pedicure time. Pedicure season. It's round the clock. Okay, round the year. Yeah, you can't go too long without a, a good pedi. <laughs> yeah, fellas, y'all get pedicures? No. What? You don't get a pedi, Phil? No. I gotta have a petty in a manny. Have you ever had one before? No. You never had a petty? No. Or a manny? No. You're missing out, brother. You know, the charting room should take this to a local salon. Yeah. And do mannies and petties. Kind of like barbershop talk, we do nail talk. Oh, I like that. You gotta have clean feet, man. Yes. I like that. My feet are clean. Now, if you don't got the clear coat, if you don't got the clear coat, it don't even matter. Oh, and you totally strike me as a clear coat guy. Yeah, I'm a clear coat guy. Yeah. Completely out of my depth. <laughs> <laughs> no idea what we're talking about. We might have to change that for you here yes, soon. Yes, yes, yes. 2019, consent matters. <laughs> okay. Knock you out and take you to the... Why am I in the nail salon? Yes, but most of the time now, especially in the good classy ones, they serve wine or mm-hmm. mixed drinks. So, you know, the charting room, can that might be a good look. I can drink wine at the crib. Mm-hmm. But it's like double for your pleasure. Expand. What's your fear, Phil? I don't have any fear. It's just not something that I'm into at the moment. Are you ticklish? Yeah, I mean, I'm ticklish, but it has nothing to do with my reasons for not wanting to. Can we talk about mental health? Can we please? All righty. So today we're coming at you with another topic. We thought we'd spend some time talking about imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. something that impacts professionals everywhere. Um, So imposter syndrome is a psychological term that refers to a pattern of behavior where people begin to doubt their accomplishments Mm -hmm. and have a persistent, often internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. So while it's not an actual disorder, it was coined by clinical psychologists Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes in 78 when they found that despite having adequate external evidence of accomplishments, people with imposter syndrome remained convinced 
that they don't deserve the su- success mm-hmm. that they have. And didn't this they is start according by, to psychology today? I was just going to ask. Didn't they start by looking at it in women mainly? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. It started um, during like the first feminist movement, mm-hmm. and they were looking at it in women at, because women often felt kind of displaced mm. in the workplace. Like, well, I know. I did what I needed to do to get here, but when I get in this environment and there aren't people that look like me, don't sound like me, then I begin to question whether I truly belong in this space. And it's interesting that they started with women because during that first feminist movement, that's when you saw also an upward movement of many women moving into spaces in management and leadership that they never had been before. Yeah. So I can definitely see how many women may have felt displaced are not a part of this larger group and what they may have possibly felt like. But many of us are still having this, those same feelings today. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And not only being like displaced, but, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Mammy and Sapphire uh, Rose. No, learn, mm-hmm. us, learn us a little. Teach me. Teach me. <laughs> but the Mammy and Sapphire, I think it came from a, um, an old sip- sitcom, rather, and they were speaking about how uh, I guess black women were made to appear a certain way in office settings or school yeah. settings or whatever. So if a black woman was, um, let's say, loud or um, firm or even um, appeared um, aggressive, she would be deemed as a sapphire. So, mm. but people would like for mostly they're most they're more comfortable with people or black women rather being the mammy uh stigma meaning that you're nurturing you're welcoming you're making the room feel safe wow so you know that has been a problem an issue for a long time where you know black women can't be themselves because if i say too much then i'm appearing that i'm this uh, aggressive female or yes. the angry black woman mm-hmm. and um then i'm forced in this in this uh instance to make you feel um comfortable in the office space yes mm-hmm. yes i would definitely say that dealing with the imposter syndrome impacts like your authenticity in the workplace right Mm -hmm. because you oftentimes feel like you can't be yourself Mm -hmm. because already I feel like I might not belong in this space but then if I present as who I am that also might kind of push me out of this space Mm -hmm. I mean but when imposter syndrome was initially started and please correct me if I'm wrong Mm -hmm. but I don't think it got nuanced or to levels of race age or anything else Mm -mm. I think it was looking at women in general yeah Mm -hmm. and then uh, and I think you know we're starting to speak to kind of how there can be a different burden on people with multiple identities Mm yeah as opposed to kind of what is viewed as normal yeah yeah because you know imposter syndrome impacts men as well Mm -hmm. um it does. It does. Um, imposter syndrome is very, very, very serious. I know for me, for myself rather, I I definitely experienced imposter syndrome. And I think that, for instance, I recently, you know, did an interview with a college, with a university, and I was, you know, shocked that I was even called. And I had to really get, um, you know, my brother had to talk me out of it. And I was wondering, you know, I don't have this experience in, you know, in academia, mm. rather. And I didn't have this. I didn't have that. Um, but what the job was asking for was everything that I actually had. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was doubting myself mm-hmm. instead of really just believing that my accomplishments were uh, worth, you know, getting the call for the interview, mm-hmm. um, even stepping into a different lane that I'm not familiar with. And, you know, I think for years, I can only speak from my culture, but 
we were told that we, you know, weren't uh, good enough. So, mm-hmm. you know, or we were told that we didn't belong in these certain areas. So you're talking about that trauma and that mentality that we are less than that brings about those uh, inferior feelings. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point because many different things can trigger those feelings of, you know, being an imposter. And I know for black women, it's this notion that we have to be like 10 times better better Mm -hmm. than the next person in order to get the same level, you know, of respect. Yeah. Yeah. I think my very first time experiencing imposter syndrome was actually doing my doctoral program. And in my doctoral program, of course, being the only student who was doing um, multiple degrees at the time, I was nominated to go first in presenting my case to the class Mm -hmm. because I was the oldest Mm -hmm. um, in this master's level class, though I was doing my doctorate. And so I, I was excited. I had got the perfect tape. I had went ahead and prepped the class on the case scenario. This is the things you're going to see. And I pressed play. Like, oh, this is about to be the best. Watch, mm-hmm. I set the stage. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't no more than maybe two minutes into my tape when my professor stopped it. And she was a very blunt, one of my favorite professors, um, also still a mentor. She was an older white lady. Um who was um, um, teaching the class, and she stated, who is this person on the tape? Mm. She sound, She said, you sound like you are Becky from Malibu. Mm. Mm. And I said, hmm? <laughs> and she said that, let me play it one more time so you can listen to it. So press play again, and I'm listening to it, and I'm thinking I'm sounding professional, yeah. eloquent, pronunciating my words to yeah. a T. Yeah. Um, lost my list, lost my little slight countryness twang mm-hmm. to it. That I love so much. Yes. <laughs> and so um, she she looked at me and she said, do you not hear that? And she says, that's not authentic. That's not you. Mm. That's not the the girl who had to come up from the single black parent you know, type of neighborhood from the projects. You sound mm. like you came from Malibu and you were upper crust. And it made me, number one, I was highly embarrassed in a class of about 15 people. Um, But it made me realize that at that very point, I had alluded and told myself that I had to sound a certain way in order to to be perceived as academic, Mm -hmm. educated, and to be a part of this group of, 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 of peers when trying to provide clinical therapy to someone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was the very first time that I experienced it. So I will never forget after that class, we sat for about two hours. And though I was embarrassed, I think the embarrassment really hit when she sat with me one-on-one and asked me, she said, well, who are you? What do you want your authentic voice to sound like? And I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Because everything that I had thought that I needed to sound like was a falsehood. And it wow. was my imagination. Um, and we, I often talk about this because I had nothing to mirror it off of. Mm. So I took everything that I saw on TV, um, in my professors that I looked up to of all races, men yes. and women, and I created this illusion of if I sound like this because my mentors and the people that I look up to who stand in front of me sound like this, yeah. then I'll be okay. Wow. But that wasn't authentic. Yeah. So Yeah. 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 I mean, but all right. So listening to that, I had a reaction listening to you say that mm-hmm. because on the other, if she would have, and keep in mind, I wasn't there. This was a number of years ago. But mm-hmm. if she would have left it at that doesn't sound authentic, mm-hmm. I would have been cool. Mm-hmm. But for her to go into your narrative mm-hmm. saying this doesn't sound like somebody from X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. to me, I feel like that's kind of an overreach mm-hmm. because at that point, she's projecting what she feels yeah. your reality should be. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and 
for me, and you know, I get into a uh, not an argument, but myself and another friend, we have very different views of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to this idea of bringing your authentic self to work, mm-hmm. I think it's a setup. Because a lot of times people make it seem like work is some just nirvana where things are all accepting and everything. Yeah. But workplace culture is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can be penalized very severely for kind of breaking that. And so my thing is workplace culture is fine. Being authentic is fine. But if you're not actually aware of the environment that you're in, mm-hmm. if you're not aware of power dynamics and things like that, there mm-hmm. can be a cost to be paid. Mm-hmm. And I feel like people need to be realistic about that, you know, the should versus kind of what is, mm-hmm. so that way you can at least navigate in a realistic mm-hmm. type of way. I That's, definitely um, respect that. I, and I most likely I would have took high offense to what she said if we didn't have a personal relationship. Yeah. yeah. So if she yeah. was just a regular professor mm-hmm. who said it in front of all these people in this classroom, oh, it would have been some serious <laughs> serious yeah. misunderstandings. But we had a personal relationship. She was okay. also my mentor, and she was on my dissertation committee, so I saw her all the time. So she felt comfortable enough, and she knew me enough that it challenged something in me that only she, due to our, our conversation, she knew that that's where I needed to be hit to make something come up for me to have the conversation, Yeah, mm. which is overachievement. I felt that me getting all these degrees was going to make me... Got be a certain way. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. when I'm the youngest person in the PhD program and doing a PhD master's program in less than four years, I was seeking something yeah. that this was supposed to be able to cover. So she was a mentor and a mini therapist all at one time. Yeah. But definitely can definitely could have been perceived that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can show up as your authentic self and still be professional. You can. And I, I, that's why I have to disagree with what Phil just said, because I believe Phil is sounding like uh, assimilation to me. And yeah. that's something that I don't want to do. I was just about to do. say that. It's assimilation. Yeah. Now, I've never felt imposter syndrome at in HBCU. Mm-hmm. Every school that I went I to, um, it was HBCU, mm-hmm. um, Shaw University, uh, A&T. HBCUs, I never felt an imposter syndrome. So I never felt like I didn't belong, um, the way we spoke. Um, our culture was embedded into the program. So you can be comfortable as you can be, you mm-hmm. know. But when we are trying to assimilate and saying what, you know, what the workplace environment is, then we are, at that point, are assimilating to European culture. Yeah. That's just the reality. Yeah. Now, the, rea- now the other reality is we have to put more of us and leadership positions where people can feel comfortable by being that. So now we can change the dynamic of what we assume workplace culture to be. Yeah. One of my very best friends um, taught me what it was to be your authentic professional self in the workspace. Mm -hmm. Um, She is a psychiatrist that was in the Air Force with me. And I had an experience similar to yours. I mean... I don't know, my dialect is already kind of like saucy, you know, and so... I, a little geeky, a little geeky. A little bit, right? <laughs> so um, I think I probably elevated my pitch some, um, probably less of the sing that I do when I talk, mm. um, and it just wasn't me, right? Mm-hmm. And then I would see my best friend navigate those spaces, and she would just be her country self. She's from Wilson, which is... Oh, yes. Yes. So she would just be her country self, and but still so very educated and professional, and people gravitated towards her because of 
her ability to be her authentic self. Mm-hmm. There, it was just something about her that people were drawn to because they were like, man, this is as real as it gets. Mm-hmm. And I found that so endearing. I was like, you know what? I too can do that. Mm-hmm. I can be my authentic self. I can be professional. I sing when I talk. People will like it or they won't. Um, and, and that's just that. And it took a load off of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that speaks more to code switching than the whole imposter syndrome right. mm-hmm. notion. Um, but I get, I definitely can see how one can trigger yeah, the other as well. So for our listeners, could you define what exactly would you say is code switching for those who may not have heard that term before? So definitely what I just described, like changing mm-hmm. your dialect, changing the way that you speak so that it is more palatable for those for your recipients <laughs> this is this is just making me this this conversation is just i, I you know I, I really 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 have an issue with it yeah. only because i feel like we assimilate too much and i know yeah. I'm, I'm speaking from a place that you know i haven't worked for anyone in the last probably four years or whatever yeah. and i understand that in the time that i was contracted um you know working in a, in a space like with the military mm-hmm. you know i left there because of uh some of these reasons where i couldn't serve the way that I needed to serve um, yeah. to people that I needed to serve. Um, you know, there, it was a lot of racism. There was a lot of uh, assimilation and we we're hiding behind just because, okay, we have these degrees, but we're now giving this up to be someone else that we're not. Yeah. And we're only um, being com- comfortable with being ourselves around people that look like us. Yeah. And it's just, it's just not going to change if we continue to do that. Listen, I was in the parking lot one time talking on the phone, and I was full on Kevon at that moment, like, what? Uh-uh. Stop. What? And then a supervisor walked up, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. And it just happened so fast that it took the person on the other end of the phone to say, like, what in the world just happened? <laughs> and I was like, I need to really check that. Like, I really need to check, you know, the fact that I feel like I need to be someone else to be accepted in the workspace. Mm, that's, that, that's, that's powerful. Yeah, mm-hmm. that I, my, my degrees, my experience... You know, what I bring to the table isn't enough. I also have to go another step Mm -hmm. and really change who I am so that you guys are comfortable Mm -hmm. when I'm in that space. And that you do not need to make anyone feel comfortable. Please never do that again. I will say that was a while ago. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm my singing self. I mean, we have to be also realistic and say that the co-switching or the imposter syndrome doesn't necessarily have to go when we go into a to spaces where we may be the only person of color. Yeah. I've been in places in which people of color um, and people of other nationalities um, with um, similar degrees or higher degrees mm-hmm. have made me feel less than two. Yeah. So I think we we often have to be mindful that it's sometimes not just about the people, it's the setting. So, so in the true. medical field, um, I often feel that just because there's a differentiation between those who have MDs and those who have PhDs yeah. when we're sitting at the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've okay. definitely heard that. that. Um, I mean, medicine is very rigid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got people getting fired for, you know, a Facebook post with having one alcoholic beverage in their hand. No uh, way. Yeah, I mean, and it's one of those things where 
I think there's a lot that goes into this concept of professionalism, at least specifically with medicine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so depending on your institution, depending on your supervisors and things like that. And so there is a lot of biases that can go into definitions For of professionalism. Sure. Mm-hmm. And granted, you know, Kiva and I had a similar process where I was like, okay, I can bring more of myself to the table. Mm-hmm. But I mean, also, I'm not going to affront like every work environment is a safe one. And for there sure. aren't any, you know, malicious consequences for, for sure. Uh, and so I realized for me, it's just, you know, this is work. This is a place of business. So you're not going to get my full authentic self. Yeah. Uh, and that's just my opinion on it. Yeah. And so I'm not advocating anybody lie, you know, to a certain mm-hmm. extent. But mm-hmm. if and I'm speaking more so to a younger me, you mm-hmm. know, whatever you have to do to be to feel safe to perform in that space, mm. I support and then That's as you so get more comfortable, kind of go from there. And granted, yes, I could have done a lot of things differently and better. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, and it's definitely a process. But I do think, you know, just going with Sheree's point of the other side of every work environment is mm-hmm. not just, Absolutely. you know, cool. Uh, the way it kind of shakes out. I think that's powerful, though, Phil, that you say that. In a different way of wording it, it's a, a self-defense mechanism, mm-hmm. a way to have self-preservation. Yes. That you have to develop this skill set. And it goes back to some of the other, one of the basic common ones, which is fight or flight. So in a sense, it's a combination of fighting it and is. flighting mm-hmm. where you can, some some parts of you have to flee in order to be able to survive. It is. Yeah. I love that you mm-hmm. said that. So I'm going to ask you guys this question. So we get there. We, we, we played the game. That's what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. You assimilate is what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. So now, mm-hmm. now you sure get. Work, but okay. We were now, trying to acculturate. Acculturating okay. is better. Okay. Got to call it what it is. It's assimilation. <laughs> so you assimilate, and then you get there. You mm-hmm. get to this road that you've dreamed or you dreamt of getting to. Mm-hmm. So now what? Mm. Now what? You, perf- you you perform. You perform. Now how do you help others? Do you tell them to assimilate too? Well, I think that goes to one of my biggest, biggest, biggest soapboxes is mentorship. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. in order to navigate these spaces, all different types of spaces, whether it's school or work environments, because it can happen in both types, and sometimes even within our communities. Um, if we're just re- well, a lot in our communities, if we're real, mm-hmm. is to have mentors. And I always tell my students and people who seek me out to say, hey, will you mentor me? I say, I always say, do you have someone who looks like you and someone who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Because I don't think you can effectively be you and be successful if you don't have someone who looks like you to help you navigate, but also to give you a, a safe place to just vent and dump mm-hmm. and just keep it real. You can be your normal, regular, authentic country twang self, mm-hmm. but you also have someone who doesn't look like you, but you trust to help you navigate these same spaces um, to kind of give you some guidance and saying, I know this has to be tough. Yeah. I know this is what you're bumping your head up against. Let me give you some feedback because I've I've had to help others who look like you, and I'm, I'm your biggest advocate. Yeah. So yeah. I think we have to have mentorship. So are we offering it to others who are new in the field or coming into our spaces? And also so do we seek it ourselves so that way we can once again move up in the ladder to create the, um, the table and the for space sure. at the table for, for others. Sure. And that's my problem there. I had to go on this rant today. Yeah, right tonight. no, it's okay. Get on your rant. Get no, your no rant. here's the thing. We, we, we try so hard to, to sit at this table and we and a lot of people are not saying that you guys do it, but a lot of people applaud themselves for getting to that table. Agreed. And once you get to that table, people want to be the only one at that table. And even when you're when you're uh, you're mentoring, people never reach that table. Have you guys ever read the book The Spook Who Sat by the Door? Of course. Mm-hmm. 
So you're familiar with it, Phil? Yeah, no, that book is amazing. Is so it's it? an amazing book. Yeah. So, right you know, if, uh, the spook who sat by the door. So you have mm-hmm. a uh, the first black CIA, uh, it's a fictional book, but the first black CIA officer. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Freeman, I believe his name was. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so on the book. And um, it's by Sam Greenlee. And he actually, they wanted Dan because they said, well, Dan, you, you are you are uh, assimilated you know you're not like the others mm-hmm. you know you you kind of behave in the workforce and we're going to give you a seat at this table we're going to make you the first black CIA officer so he played the game mm-hmm. he he got there but when he got there he gave a lot of secrets and a lot of things back to the community and they ended up taking over um, the, the community and rioting mm-hmm. and he was giving information that he was learning from the uh, the CIA and giving it back to his community. And I'm not telling yeah. anybody to, you know, start riots or do anything, right. but right. when you get to a place, I think it's a duty that we have to kind of reach back and pull people and create this own table instead mm-hmm. of us trying to uh, sit at a table that wasn't meant for us in the that first place. Designed for us. But can we do both? Can we, once again, put ourselves in these leadership positions at the table that's that's already created and still once again create our own spaces too and our own table. Because if we don't go to the table that's already created, then in many of our fields that are in service, mm-hmm. then the people who need to be served who look like us won't necessarily get the best care. No, I think you have to do. I think you have to. Sometimes you, you have, it's okay to do away with the table. You got to think about our field. Our field is comprised of uh, European or it's white individuals mm-hmm. who black people weren't even getting counseling back then. Yeah, and now we're we're praising and going off these theories and these models that were never designed for us. Mm-hmm. So you're saying sit and sit at a table, and I'm learning about an old white man who who during this time was never even seeing someone who looked like me. Yeah. So why are we even creating these uh, these models? We need to start researching more black models and recreating and redesigning uh, day, um, ways to approach therapy. Yeah. And that's why, ther- that's why therapy was, uh, you know, overlooked in the black community for so long because we're going off this model that wasn't for us. Yeah. It's hard, right? Because in order to change the narrative, you actually have to change the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. But then you also have to determine, like, what battle am I going to be a crusader for? Mm. Because not everybody has the emotional bandwidth to say in this moment, in this space, I'm just going to be myself and whatever comes, comes. Um, Because that's a heavy sword to fall on for some people in some spaces, right? And so you're speaking from an entrepreneurial perspective, mm-hmm. but what about mm-hmm. those people that, you know, That's not their they gift. need the paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. And they know they're the only black face in the space, and so... You know, they can't or the only woman in the space or the only man mm-hmm. in the space. Mm-hmm. And so they can't go and truly be their authentic selves and actually like thrive in that setting where they need to thrive to 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 live and sustain. Yeah. No, no, that, that may, that you're making an excellent point. And I think the people who are needing paychecks and, and doing things, they have to they have to stay there. And I agree with that. My thing is, um, I know I see a lot of times people withhold information because they are they praise themselves for being the only one at that table. So if you are going to be there, what I'm saying is make sure that you pass down knowledge to people coming after you. Don't don't hold that knowledge and not you know and prevent share. not share it and not yeah. you know prevent anyone else from coming under you for fear of you not being the only, only black person anymore, yeah. the only woman anymore. I mean, I guess that's the thing. I've been blessed like immensely to have a lot of people who are very generous with their time and information and everything else. Mm-hmm. And so I guess when I hear you speak, I'm 
just baffled because it would never occur to me. And at least a lot of the people that thankfully I'm around have been with mentored with peers, the whole nine to withhold any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I think on one part too, I mean, mental health medicine, everything is not just something that wasn't created for black people, quote unquote. Uh, It has sometimes been used directly against black people and exploited black people in a number of ways. And so that mistrust is appropriately, you know, it's kind of honestly earned and come by. For sure. I mean, even with some diagnoses, I mean, we haven't gotten to the point of talking about individual diagnoses on the charting room, but, Mm -hmm. you know, you have somebody come in, a black person, white person, exact same symptoms. One is diagnosed with a mood disorder. One is diagnosed with an extreme uh, kind of psychotic disorder. And that changes the way that we do uh, medications. That changes our treatment plans and everything else. Even when it comes to the idea of staff feeling threatened when people have to be restrained or involuntarily medicated, Mm -hmm. that can go into it, too. Uh, And so, Anthony, on one point, you know, while I hear what you're saying as far as doing away with models and everything else, I also go to Sheree's point of we can still be in those spaces and inform those models and actually update those models. Mm -hmm. Because while, yes, what Freud was doing was harmful to women, was harmful to (laughs) other people, because, I mean, the hysteria diagnosis, one of the criteria is you have to be a woman. Um, You know, we're updating our knowledge kind of consistently. But I do think kind of providing more context and saying, like, hey, this doesn't work the way you think it does. I know we don't have studies, but listen to this experience, and especially in mental health, because everything is really just kind of checklist and things put together, and it gets revised every few years. Mm -hmm. You know, by being there to inform that, that can actually help people and kind of change the uh, kind of composition of the table. And, I mean, yeah, tables don't mean anything if you're not serving food or actually using it for what it's supposed to be for. Mm -hmm. So, I love to hear that you haven't had that experience where – there was a lack of mentorship mm-hmm. and guidance. And so you would say that's the same for your med school experience mm-hmm. as well? Well, let me let me clarify. Okay. Because to say there weren't many physical mentors by numbers, okay. but I would say the people that I met were generous with their time and perspective and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, as far as black psychiatrist period as far as black male psychiatrist is like five right you know? <laughs> uh and so but i think a lot of people have the right mind frame of like hey we need more in the field yes. uh, just recently the american psychiatric association had their first african-american woman president alta stewart and her priority has been articulated to increase diversity in mm-hmm. psychiatry as right. a field she's right. opened up pipeline programs she's mentoring uh college students from uh just different areas and kind of bringing them along and that was her articulated you know, kind of priority. And mm-hmm. so to go to Anthony's point earlier, she got to that table and she just ran it just like, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's what I'm about. This is the organizational's priority, mm-hmm. uh, organization's priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So. This is uh, good stuff because the reality is if I'm sending a, a client to a psychiatrist and, um, you know, they go to Phil. Mm-hmm. When they open Phil, when Phil opened the door, they're not expecting to see a black man. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not expecting to see you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, it, it you know, even for myself, I know now I have hidden job duties. I, ha- I have um, a role. I take on a role where I have to be a mentor to younger kids and let them know that you can be a therapist. You can be a psychiatrist. You can be a doctor. Yeah. Only because I know our faces are not being seen as those people. Mm-hmm. So... Even a person walking into your office, Phil, and knowing that their psychiatrist is black, that does more for some people than anybody could even imagine. Representation. You'd hear know everything in the first session. There you go. Because you look like me. 
And I will feel comfortable that even though we may not have grown up the same way, at least you know that some of the experiences that I'm going to share with you, you probably went through at least maybe at least 30 to 40 percent of those yourself. Yeah, I got the picture framed of when the black boy went into the Oval Office and he asked President Obama to bend down Mm -hmm. so he can touch his hair. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we're doing here. So when we get to these places, it's like, man, we have to, we have an obligation to kind of come back and represent because we're, we're not we're few. We're, we're few in this number. As we have this conversation, if we're going to stay in these spaces where we may be one of few or one of the only, how do we create the self-care and mm. also the balance that we need in order to stay in, my favorite word, to endure? I like that you say endure because sometimes you are truly enduring. It's a, it's a race. <laughs> you are it's truly not necessarily about, you know, the enduring. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we look at some of the studies that are studying imposter syndrome or even code switching, we mm-hmm. know that there's a higher increased risk of anxiety, depression, panic attacks. High blood pressure. Yes, high blood pressure, um, stress, di- yes. different types of stress Body related. with physical delimitations, yeah. back pain, et cetera. Yeah. So, yes. So, increase in everything. So, how do we, how do we preserve our wellness if we're going to stay? Well, I love that we're talking about mentorship because I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. And I, I think our, our best self-care is being at a space where we are going to be uh, comfortable. Um, I know yeah. they teach us in programs and uh, doctoral programs that you may not be a good fit at a PWI or you may not be a good fit at yeah. HBCU. Because if you're going to go somewhere every single day where you're not feeling like yourself, I think that's going to create a high level of stress. Yeah. And people end up hating their jobs. People in corporate America, they, they say they have to um, be a certain type of way, and, um, and it drives them crazy. A lot of people come, into, so right. people come into therapy for stress, job so stress. So right. you're saying self-care. Sometimes you have to leave and go to a place where you are going to feel uh, comfortable because it's, it's hard to be a different personality every single day than come home, then have to be someone else. Oh, and then that personality still isn't good enough. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. So. so therapy also, if you prior to possibly leaving, may be an option. Um, I mean, so, okay. I guess I have a different view of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to preface this, so I have baby boomer parents, Generation X siblings, uh, and so I'm I have a mind frame that would probably be considered a bit old school. Okay, mm-hmm. I have never looked for validation in educational or workspaces. I view them as a job. I view them as something that I go to, I get done, and I get out. Yeah, and so. When I hear a lot of people saying, you know, I want my job to be my purpose, I want to go somewhere that I love every day, da da da. In my mind, I'm like, no, I'm trying to get these bills paid. And then after that, I can do everything else that yeah. I would like to or want to do or whatever else. Yeah. And so that's my general view. And so the way that I view it is leave work at work. You know, I got people that come in talking about their, you know, office culture. Uh, you know, I get an email at midnight and I have to respond. And I'm like, why? Mm. You know, and I understand office cultures are different and everything else, mm-hmm. but my thing is, from my view, now, granted, I happen to be in a field where work and purpose combine, but at the end of the day, you know, if we get patients who work at 
McDonald's or whatever else, because I work with folks all along the spectrum, mm-hmm. it is very hard for me to say, you know, put find your identity in flipping burgers and, you know, serving folks fries. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that serves a purpose right now for mm-hmm. you to kind of get to where you need to go. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of times, so I was going to say this for a moment of reflection, but I'm just going to say it now. I feel like a lot <laughs> of times. It's not even your week to do a moment of reflection. Because a lot of times I feel like survival is under rated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I feel like people feel like they should have everything in one space just perfectly wrapped up and it's like, no, like check the box, do what you gotta do to at least get the basics. Level up. Yeah, and then build from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and so to go back to my original point, my thing is just separate from work completely. Like, yeah. don't put your identity in work because we're talking about achieving degrees and everything else. Man, this junk is a piece of paper. Those folks will hire somebody else, you know, before you <laughs> They say it. when you mm-hmm. die, they look in, they already posted your announcement mm-hmm. in the paper yeah. <laughs> the next day. Yeah, you know, and so making sure that you have that kind of personal support system, Hall of Fame, things outside of yeah. that. Because I know this is gone left from imposter syndrome, but a lot of it <laughs> is not really reminding yourself the things that you've done to get to where you are. Yeah. You know, Anthony, to your original story, mm-hmm. you had to talk to somebody else to realize like, oh, wait, I do have everything they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in med school when stuff would get rough, I would look at old encouraging messages, you know, mm-hmm. that people sent to me about stuff that had nothing to do with medicine, mm-hmm. you know, just to remind myself like, oh, wait, I do have a significance outside of this, you know, vocational program. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's what people really have to do, kind of have stuff outside of work that you can go to, outside of school, outside of really any Anything, you know, mm-hmm. like not putting everything in that one basket because it is a program and they have a business to run, whether it is education, whether mm-hmm. it is work, and they have a totally different agenda mm-hmm. than what you have. Like even uh, when I'm talking to medical students, high school students, anything else, I'm like, look, understand that it, I will say from my perspective, medicine in and of itself has its own agenda. It is trying to create, you know, people who go with the same evidence, the same uh, thought process, everything, and not folks to really challenge that under the name of evidence. And so you have to understand what you came to the field for, what the field wants to do to you, and kind of drawing that line in the sand of like, okay, I can take this knowledge and ultimately serve people the way I want to serve them Mm -hmm. instead of doing it in a particular way that it absolutely has to be done. Mm. Well said. Yeah. Well said. I guess it comes down to... um, you know, are you doing it for the money? Are you doing it for this? I mean, you know, and, it, and that's the reality. It's pretty much about perspective. Yeah. How do you want to go into it? And it's interesting that you said that, Phil, because I do think there's been an upward movement when it comes to purpose-pushing people, especially when it comes to, you know, coaching and counseling, where they're trying trying to at least intertwine people's careers with their purpose. Can that be done? I think sometimes that it can be done. Mm-hmm. But I think you presented a different perspective of you sometimes you just have to be in straight survivor mode. And I think and you made it very um, simplistic in saying that survivor mode does have a purpose, which is to, to be able to endure and once again be very resilient from day to day. You got to keep your eye on the prize if you're in mm-hmm. survival mode, and you got to know when it's time to also tap out of survival mode. Yes, yeah. because Absolutely. survival mode, is, yes, it's serious. Break you down to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not something that should be done for a lifetime, like our grandparents and great grandparents had oh. to do. Yes, yeah. no. and this also goes into 
though we're talking about when to what to do when to stick and stay, we also have to recognize the signs and when it's time to go. Exactly. Such as, you know, crying at work, not being able to eat or sleep, answering emails at midnight and one exactly. o'clock or getting phone calls at mm-hmm. one or two o'clock in the morning. Um, not being able to have that work-life balance and not necessarily even seeing purpose in your work anymore. Those are good signs to say that maybe you should take a step back and do some reflection to say, though you may love this sort of work, maybe we need a different type of environment or to take Anthony's um, suggestion and maybe it's time to go off on your own. Create your own space. Create Mm -hmm. your own space. I mean, and also, I mean, burnout is actually a real phenomenon. Oh, it is. That is is a diagnosis. Yeah. Uh, You know, and like I said, I can speak from the medical perspective, but usually by second year, some of the data shows about second year of residency half of residents are burned out yeah so you know imagine you're going further in your career and everything so that mm-hmm. feeling like your work doesn't matter that feeling like uh, it's kind of a futile thing the low energy mm-hmm. micro motivation all of that is a actual like diagnosable thing that has to be treated yeah um and like I said, that's kind of an extreme uh, kind of extension of workplace stress and imposter syndrome and everything else. But it is something that happens. And it so happens. and it's been documented. That's one of the things I often go and talk about. So I, um, I contract with some um, some legal organizations here in um, North Carolina to do their yearly conference and their fall or spring conference where we talk about how lawyers and also including doctors mm-hmm. have high suicidal rates starting from law school and med school mm-hmm. and move upward into the career. Um, they also have the highest compared to the normal population when it comes to mental health disorders and substance use disorders, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this smaller population of, um, of legal professionals and medical professionals have higher um, mm-hmm. risk of mental health and substance use and suicidality. So that says something within itself that mm-hmm. at, some t- at some point, the burnout goes beyond that to the oh, point yeah. of oh, yeah. you need clinical help or yeah. you need to just step away and run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I said be sure that, you know, if you are in survival mode, because I agree, there are times when life calls for that, but make sure that you're checking in to see, you know, when is it time to step out of survival mode mm-hmm. and really step away and take care of self. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You guys like Monopoly? Oh, yeah. yeah. Is right. I'm a beast. Right. So, how are you a beast? I was, no. Because I, I own all this. I, I mean, it's like space. Uh, like, you know. <laughs> I own I all the property. Oh, yes, it is. All the property. No, Monopoly is in the house. Oh, so you got to go throw you down have to have over Monopoly. Park Place, got to have the blue side, and you got to have throw the purple side. Down down so, over either Monopoly. way, I'm still a literal roll of the dice. Well, I'm glad y'all brought that up because I wanted to. You know, explain like how I view Monopoly. I was playing with a group of friends a few weeks ago, and everything was uh, taken. It's I not guess. your week for moment of reflection. No, it's not. No, it's not a moment of reflection. <laughs> did I get into a reflection voice? You, you, you did. did. So, you did. You got that right. Like, nah, nah. It's real, no, it's, <laughs> anyway, anyway. I was like, we're here. That turtleneck. Nah, I love turtlenecks. I love turtlenecks. I'm getting clowned now, but it's okay. Anyway, back to my story. Back to my story. I was playing Monopoly with a group of friends. Mm-hmm. Everything was uh, had hotels on it. Um, Baltic Ave has mm-hmm. had uh, been gentrified. <laughs> Even those had hotels on them. So everything was going. You know what? I had two hundred dollars. I had two hundred dollars to my name, and anywhere I landed, I would have been bankrupt. Only place that I had to land Don't say jail. was either on a chance card mm-hmm. and get lucky mm-hmm. or go to jail. Mm. Wow. That was on that is a black man in America. Mm. You get two hundred dollars that you can't do nothing with and you really have to get lucky or you're gonna go to jail. 
now, now walk with me here. Okay, the, I'm walk with me. Walk with me. Walk with me. Walk with me. Now, our chance, our chance is sometimes our privileges, whether that be education, whether mm-hmm. that be mentorship, mm-hmm. whether that be anybody that kind of shifted us in a direction where we didn't become a statistic at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the reality is we were not set up to win in the first place. So that's when we're talking about the workplace and getting up to this high level. We it's a systemic issue. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys read this book. It's called Overcoming Our Race Overcoming Our Racism by Daryl Sue. No, I haven't read that. At the beginning of the book, he says all white people are racist. Okay. And that kind of hit everybody hard, right? Yeah. Everybody's like, everybody we're looking waiting. at me crazy. We're waiting. Okay. Okay. No, no. Just, just, just listen. Okay. All white people are racist. This is what he said. Okay. Now, he said this. He said that all white people aren't hateful. So, everybody's not burning a cross in your front yard. Hmm. But the reality is, Kevon, if you went for a job and a white woman went for the job and you got it, she may be upset because she expects to get the job over you. Hmm. Not because she thinks she's better than you, only because she thinks she's white. Well, she knows she's white and she should get the job first. Mm. So I'm okay with someone being a racist. You know, hate is a different kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But he then went on to say that we cannot be racist because we the system is not designed for us to oppress like that. Because mm. oh, wow. we are the oppressed. We are the oppressed. So when you go into a situation, I'm looking. That's why I'm so passionate about this because I'm going. Sense. I'm going into this knowing how the system is designed. It's designed like that damn monopoly board. And it's designed how this book teaches us. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that I don't want my white my white audience to think that I'm calling everybody racist. You, you just said <laughs> you gonna get us one star. <laughs> well, no, I'm calling. I'm listen. The book author said. The book author said <laughs> all white people are racist. And if you really read the book and you dive deep into it, yeah. you understand his point. Yeah. Um, and I'm saying that that doesn't mean that you're a hateful person. That doesn't mean that you are you have uh, malicious intent or anything. But so maybe just, he's equating um, racism with entitlement. Yeah, he's white, saying white that privilege. white people benefit from a system of privilege that mm-hmm. they did not initially pour into that was mm-hmm. built on the backs of oppressed people. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's what he meant. That's exactly mm-hmm. what he meant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly what he meant. So, but Monopoly is a fun game. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm going to play it anymore the way you describe it. <laughs> that's all fun and games, but that's life. That's life. That's life. Well, I know that we got a little bit off topic from imposter syndrome, Did but we? as a little, just a little bit, but it all we marries said together. Four sentences about imposter. Yeah. <laughs> it all goes hand in hand. It, 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 it's it, all interconnected. It, it, yeah, it marries together. Um, so, you know, the wonderful thing about imposter syndrome is that the only difference between someone dealing with it and someone that's not is the way that they think. And so, if you are experiencing negative feelings um, because you too are dealing with imposter syndrome then if you change the way that you think you can change the way that you feel mm-hmm. um, and and I, I know I say that very simplistic sim, like it's very simplistic but um, sometimes that requires great effort mm-hmm. um, because our thoughts are ingrained in us mm-hmm. and sometimes we think them without even realizing that we're thinking them mm-hmm. and that's where therapy can be beneficial um, so We'll leave links below to some articles that we have. Anybody else have anything on imposter syndrome that they want to share? Mm. Not at this point. I think that's no, pretty good. I think we cover place. everything. Okay. okay. I would just say that the same thing that we are talking about in the workplace, um, those same suggestions um, can be applied in the school setting too. Mentorships, yes. um, supports, 
those types of things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Listen, guys, bottom line is sometimes we forget how valuable of an asset we truly are. Or how hard we work. Yes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to fact check-ish. Mm-hmm. Pull out your legal pad and write down all the attributes that landed you mm-hmm. in that space mm-hmm. so that you truly can see on paper what we see in you in the workspace and in the school setting. Because mm-hmm. it's not enough for us to believe in you. You got to believe in yourself. You see how she stole that moment of reflection? She, That's not a moment of reflection. She stole That's that a wrap-up. That's a wrap-up? It's a wrap-up. No, no. Sheree, she tried to steal your moment of reflection. That's exactly what happened. So nobody going to advocate for Sheree. I'm going to advocate for Sheree. I appreciate it. I appreciate it's her moment of reflection. She went to reflection voice. And she stole the moment of reflection. I don't, I don't think that's what happened. She stole it. I, I was trying to happened. summarize, son. You were summarizing. I was vibing with you. Thank I'm you. I'm with you, Sheree. Until it was Sheree finna drop some bars on, Roman, on the moment of reflection coming nope, up soon. No need now. It's too late. We got it. We reflected already. We did not reflect. You mad salty tonight. Right? You mad salty. It's because I said something about Tony. It's because I said something about Tony. And he was good with his turtleneck on. We got hot topics coming from the streets, from the streets straight to the peace. We got hot topics, hot topics, y'all. Coming at you with some straight up hot topics, y'all. All right, so for this week's hot topic, what I wanted to bring up was: Have y'all heard about the whole Hollywood cheating scandal? Mm-hmm. All right, it's like so, I heard about it. So, <laughs> so I'm not going to try to go into too much detail uh, because I just saw a couple lines and I was like, "All right, I get it." Mm-hmm. But basically, some high-powered people mm-hmm. uh, have been paying money to schools to get their children admitted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear there may have been some falsification of some records, change some test scores, things like that, all to kind of go around the process that normal non-financially uh, I guess say well-off people <laughs> exactly. kind of have to go with and it's been a big thing uh, some actresses have been indicted uh, some mothers folks, yeah, uh, well yeah I mean uh, I, yeah. I guess we're gonna go hard for our kitties yeah I mean but that's the thing because who would I forget which actress Lord forgive me but from Full House from Full yeah. House it was an auntie and her bill was set at like a million dollars yes and Listen. she posted though. Mm-hmm. Of course, she was going to post it. She well, dropped half of that. To, all right, but we saw like, we saw what Forrest Gump mom that did that did to get him in school. What refresh my memory? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so this is not the worst thing in the world, is it? <laughs> so please so, refresh the memory of the listeners. Forrest Gump mom. She gave the dude head. Nah, she oh, gave him more than head and some head. Yeah, but he got in full access. And he became a millionaire. But we're not saying that he became a millionaire thanks to his <laughs> Ivy League education. I mean, so, and also... My bad. Finish the story, Phil. <laughs> no, no, it's cool. Because you was all of it. Oh, Forrest Gump, Mom. I'm like, she's not even real, but okay. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> that reminds me of the dude from the Fry Festival documentary when they didn't have power. Fire. Is it fire? <laughs> oh, it was so short lived. Um, when they didn't have power, and they told him he would have to go do a favor so that they could get the power. Was it the power that they needed to get back on? I think it was water or something. Oh, yeah. you, you didn't see? You didn't see that? I didn't that? see that. Oh, no. gall did not. Oh, gall. 
Well, okay, well, carry on. What was <laughs> interesting about the article, though, as Phil was trying to attempt to say, before I was so rudely interrupted by the shrimps, by the shrimps. Okay, <laughs> oh god, <laughs> was that? We can't it, even take these people serious. I know. Is that there were besides paying off people? to get their kids inside of Ivy League schools. There were um, two or three instances in which a person went and took the SAT or ACT for students. So not only did they buy off the the proctors, mm-hmm. but they had people go in and take the test for these students. Mm. Amazing. So my, so my issue is, all right, it would be different if people would just speak up and just call it what it is. Mm-hmm. But people do stuff like this and then try and act like it was done based on merit and all these other types of things. Mm-hmm. And then we'll heavily penalize people for doing small things such as trying to use a family member's address to hmm. get into a better school. Hmm. Hmm. And so, I mean, I guess that's one of my gripes is just like, all right, let's just, you know, can we talk on the same page and just exactly. be a little bit honest about mm-hmm. stuff? It's privilege. Exactly. Yeah. Because I mean, what happened in Atlanta, was it like three or four years ago, where it it was similar to this, and I think... Oh, yeah, it was test scores. Yeah. Yes. They changed the and test scores. And I think um, quite a few people got a prison sentence from that. It Was it one school or multiple schools, or multiple people within the school? I oh. remember it was some principals. Yes. And I think I want to speak the wrong thing on it. I can't quite I, I can't The only that. reason why I remember is because one of the, indivi- the ladies that was on trial ended up dying of cancer mm. while she was mm. on trial and I just remember that stuck out stuck out mm. to me that you know that was kind of her last moments dealing with that when she wanted and I'm not making an excuse for no, her behavior yeah. but she just wanted these children to have mm-hmm. a better opportunity you know mm-hmm. and also funding for the school yeah because yeah. tech scores you no know, leads to more funding which mm-hmm. can provide more books education and supports to the students yeah mm-hmm. so my question though is so Becky, that was her name on Full House, mm-hmm. ironically enough, um, <laughs> paid all of this money for her children, her daughters to be admitted into USC. Mm-hmm. Well, good, how bad were their grades to begin with? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, the funny thing is we don't know anything about, you know, what the kids actually, because this is an adult problem. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't know. I would hope it's not a situation where, you know, um, the kids and the parents are sitting there conspiring at a table. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, USC, I don't think their admission requirements Well, are. I mean, actually, uh, <laughs> the funny thing is, in a group chat uh, with some homies, we were talking about it. But, you know, yeah. for the state of California and that area and everything, mm-hmm. it is a very big deal. Well, they okay. not only did test scores, they not only um, paid for people to get admission, but they also was paying for um, Title I or NCAA one schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, for example, they would go to the rowing coach and say, hey, even though my child right. doesn't row, right. I need for you she to put them on your roster. She had a photo shoot done. Yes. And, so, like, crew gear. Yes. And so we, we talk about athletics and people trying to mm-hmm. get into these top schools. And, once again, because they may not necessarily go to a top-ranking school as far as high school yeah. that you didn't made up a whole new sport for your child to be able to get in and this coach got paid off to accept your child on this imaginary roster. I guess I guess I'm like I thought this had been going on. Yeah. Like this type of stuff has has been going on. But there's a difference between been going on and uh-huh. proven and put 
out okay. there for mm-hmm. you know That's public true. consumption. That's yeah. true. Uh, there's stuff that we know is going on, <laughs> yeah. but can we prove it? Can we yeah. prove it? You're right. You're yeah, not. we typically call it like an endowment mm-hmm. legacy. I mean, but no, I mean, let's really talk about it though, because I know a lot of folks who talk about you know public schools and they need to change and everything, but mm-hmm. put their kids right in the private school. Accurate. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, okay. It, what are we really upset about here? I know what I'm upset about. Well, let's hear you know it. I mean, my thing is, if we were at least being honest about kind of what is and what is mm-hmm. not happening, I would probably feel a little bit better about it. Yeah. You know, and acknowledging that there are legal ways to do this, which is where you, you know, kind of put your kids in the private schools, uh, get them in all the rights of extracurriculars mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that. And so that's more socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. But my thing is to kind of overtake it and then act like nothing is wrong. And then on top of that, criticize other people who are trying to do it the honest way. Right. That's the type of stuff that really gets me kind yeah. of upset about. That makes sense. Grinds my gears. <laughs> makes sense. You know, I- I wish white privilege worked for everybody. I was about to say, like, if <laughs> if this were if these were your kids, like, and you thought you was going to get away with it, yeah. would you? I, I mean, just wish white privilege worked for everybody. I know Tasha did on Power when she paid, wrote that check for Tyreek. Can we get some real life examples, please? Can we just get something from reality? But did you see his face? Like, dead serious. It was serious. That's not real characters in you guys' home? Yes, for power, it is. Tyreek is a real character. It is. We are truly mad at him. Yes, we're truly mad at him. Welcome to the table at all. Yeah, there you go. He's in his adolescent years, developmentally. He got some things. He got his sister killed. Yes. Yeah, he came to speak at AT last. Year. Did they boo him? Not well, at, at first, but it, it, was, it was pretty dope. He, he said he was so nervous because, you know, although he was this TV star, he said that, you know, he mm, well, was kind of interesting. He had imposter syndrome in a sense. I was just about to say that. Because now he's speaking in front of uh, educated folk. Wow. So I thought that was interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So listen, Clint Smith on Twitter wrote, thinking about all the black, brown, and low-income students who arrive at college and who are made to feel as if they don't deserve to be there, while so many wealthy students have their parents essentially buy their way into these schools and rarely experience the same skepticism. Who is that? Clint Smith. He's from Twitter. Oh. He's He's on on the Twitters. Mm -hmm. My perspective of it is, I think of it, Two different ways. Number one, you're having someone to buy your way in or um, fake your way in through changing the test scores. Um, will you be able to complete the work when you get there? Yeah. Or is the, the buyout going to continue, continue throughout right? the whole four years? <laughs> On the other side of it, I am a firm believer that testing doesn't always equate to achievement and ability. Accurate. So I see Very both sure. sides of it. So, But I hold can, on. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. I am very sorry to cut you off. You're so apologetic. But, no, I mean, I really am. But I, I just had to stop you there because let's not act like these folks are, you know, setting the revolution up, you know, against test taking and everything else. Oh, I, I get that. I get yeah, that. Like, yeah, like, no. it was purely because a selfish no, game. Yes, I say that, and I made that statement because many people have made that statement on social media, which is they're not going to be able to sit there and do the work once they get there. Well, not necessarily true. They may just, that's the fair. money just may have okay. opened the door. That's, that's yeah, why I yeah, made yeah. that statement. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, what were their grades looking like to begin with? You know what I'm saying? We don't know. These kids could have had 4.0, so we know. And they just couldn't get in. We don't even know if they could get in because apparently they didn't try. Exactly. Exactly. 
but what I wonder what the kids feel like to know that you've been exposed because your mom and them. Well, and let's, <laughs> got you let's keep it 100. They also had played a part in it because you knew you were not on the crew team and yet you showed up to that photo shoot. That's an issue. <laughs> what the fuck? That's an issue. <laughs> are, you, are you having a seizure? <laughs> you knew good and well that you never wanted to not nary practice yeah. for the crew team. And yet you showed up for Strong that photo arms. shoot. Strong arms. I mean, but. I will say, to a certain extent, this does reinforce some of the things we were talking about with the main topic of yeah. who belongs yeah. in certain spaces. Yeah. And it's to the point of, you know, I don't care what it takes. I should be in this place. Like, yes. the, um, mm. like the woman at, what was it, UT? Um, Fresh my memory. UT, uh, who brought the whole affirmative action suit because she yes. tried to get oh, in, yes. like, yes. multiple yes. times. <laughs> and then she couldn't. And it's like. I wonder where she is. Probably, file, probably filing an appeal. Yeah, still trying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's what I'm saying. Like this idea of ownership. Yeah, because you know, that's yeah. really where entitlement yes. gets dangerous. Yes. Like yes. not just the ownership piece, but the unspoken side of exclusion. Yes. Uh, not only is this mine, but there's no way you it can belong to You need to have access to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and I think that's another part of it because it demonstrates, you know, just the just that sense of I am entitled to this no matter what it takes I'm going to get it can I say that over 100 people were arrested if I'm not mistaken yes and I need to see more names me too because I need to make sure it's not anybody that I know because this was all across the U.S. Yes, they, uh, they even um, presented that there were a few cases at Wake Forest University from yes. my hometown in Winston-Salem. So I'm like, this was mm. all across the U.S. Texas this included CEOs, mm. doctors, lawyers, actors. Mm-hmm. So let's see the list. Because yeah, if I, it was a person crew of black folk, yeah. we would have, just like the crew from Atlanta, There's, we would have all the faces everywhere. and the names. Yeah. Let me see who they are. Who you be? I mean, I know I don't know none of them people. I ain't got friends in that tax bracket. (laughs) Let me see who you are. Hilarious. Mm -hmm. I just want white privilege to benefit everybody. Can we, like, black privilege, Hispanic privilege? I just just need it. There are privileges. They just don't don't translate the same. (laughs) No, no. I just need it all to work for everybody. What race is on the bills? White. So we are all shocked That's sitting around this table, becoming so shocked that people are getting paid off to go to school. All right, hold on. Who was shocked? Nobody. Nobody. Okay. No. Well, nobody shocked. Mm-mm. You know what? This shit had never been the hot topic. <laughs> <laughs> I did not want this to be the hot topic. And I'm saying are you it going on here. record? I'm going on record. <laughs> I did not want this to be the hot topic because I. But I think we need to talk about it because we talked about this in imposter syndrome, right? Yes, what is we it did. that we are taught as Black women? We have to work ten, ten times, times as hard. hard to earn our seat at the table, mm-hmm. and I have a Black female teenager that is literally working night and day staying up until two o'clock in the morning trying to retain information hustling grinding so she can get into the college of her choice this is is back to my point that's my point back to my point we try so hard to get into these white universities she don't even want to go to white university anymore 
she wants to go to Howard, and what, Howard is extremely well, competitive to get into. It is, mm-hmm. but you know, nobody these people that we listen on on this hot topic watch, aren't paying watch, to get watch, into Howard. Watch what you say about Howard. Okay. They're not paying <laughs> to get into Howard, correct? No, they're not. So but, that's what I'm saying. I'm glad that she's trying to go to Howard. Yeah. I'm very happy because I believe that we were talking about rules Excuse and athletics. Me, let me get a little white privilege in here. So if you're listening and you have any power over at Howard, <laughs> okay, carry on. But but here's the reality. Um, our athletes, you know, they're going to white universities, and what's following is white money, and big yeah. money is going to these universities like Duke, uh, Chapel Hill, because the talent and the athleticism is going there. Yeah. So if so these same true. athletes would go to um, HBCUs, so true. Um, we just had a, now we you know we got. Uh, Ah, we got plenty of athletes that can stay right there at HBCUs, and the money will follow. I know. So that's what I'm saying. We don't have to. So there, you know, I don't want to write a check, and nothing I could, but I don't want to write a check for uh, for my child to get into a university. Um, you know, if I have to do all of that to get accepted, then I don't want to be there. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna be all the way real with you. If Let's I had it. it and I could write the check for my kid to get into a university, I absolutely would. Why? Honestly, networks. Why bro. not? Network, no, no, seriously, <laughs> networks. I'm being honest. You know, it, joining oh. fraternities, sororities, all that stuff, it yeah. leads to access. Yeah. Like my frat brother, yeah. my sorority sister could put my name to the top of a list. Yeah. I knew somebody who was doing this thing and they kind of pulled me in. And like that stuff is real. It, that well, that, is that so is, real. Finally, we can sit there and say that is one form of privilege that we as African Americans do have is Greek, black Greekdom. Not even just black Greekdom. I mean, because I feel like once you get out there, mm-hmm. it's like, look, it is faux black people out here. You know, you either with support us or you not. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. yes, yes, and okay. yes. Okay. You disagree? No, 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 okay. no, no. I mean, I, I agree. I love networking. Um, I'm part of a fraternity as well. Yes, um, my first job was given to me by a Greek sister. So, and yeah. the opposite one. She really? said, "I know that you can do the work because I know that you went through the process." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I see pictures. I'm no longer in the military. <laughs> Thank I'm a little excited about that. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah. see pictures. <laughs> I know. That was so nerdy. I see pictures of, like, the four-star Deltas that are out mm. there. Mm-hmm. And it just does something to me. It just warms my heart. And I see mm-hmm. them taking pictures with um, CGOs, which are mm-hmm. um, kind of entry-level officers, and then FGOs, which are kind of like your colonels and lieutenant colonels and whatnot. And, again, it goes back to representation matters. Mm-hmm. And You're I, an AKA, right? Biting words. Do y'all hear that silence over the <laughs> mic? I was always told that silence is golden. Uh, what is a delta? I said, what is a delta? <laughs> a delta is what an act ain't. What is they want to be? Sorry. Hey, no, she, 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 she's, hey. I was wondering if you were going to do the whole like, thing. like with the Kappa's love, what Q-Sap I can't get enough of. She did just diss me in the charting room. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> sir. But my okay. thing is, she stopped. <laughs> That's what I'm getting. And it was like, I'm still going to finish. <laughs> I'm still, still going to finish, though. It's okay. Hey, Soroys, to my blue and white family, the only true family out there that is constitutionally bound to my Zetas and Sigmas. I'm assuming y'all financial, right? Active and financial first mm. vice president, holler at me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Crickets. Crickets. One out of four ain't bad. Hey. <laughs> I, I'll wrap y'all up uh, on my own. <laughs> Crickets. I, I, in my heart. Uh, Phil and I share the pleasure of being in the greatest fraternity. 
uh, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Um, you know, so we. It love. is not your moment of reflection <laughs> <laughs> again. Again. Still my thunder. I'm about to go solo. That's what I'm about to do. You know what? The charts. I'm airing it right now. <laughs> the charting cubicle. <laughs> I'm going solo. At the turtleneck therapist. <laughs> All right, y'all. That's a wrap. I'm ending it tonight. I'm taking that. Uh, I'm taking that lead. Kevon's not ending it with any. No wrap up. Any any wrap ups. Hey Becky, we see you out there. Becky, pipe down, lay low. Mm. We're out, guys. We, we understand yeah. that they looking at your taxes now too. Mm. Um, so lay low, Becky, with the good hair. Mm. All right, y'all. <laughs> As we close out this episode. We want to thank you for your dedication. Here's a gift from us to you. This week's moment of reflection. This is Sheree Watkins giving you your moment of reflection. So as we have talked about tonight, we've talked about sometimes being in dark places. So tonight I want to talk to you about developing tunnel vision while you're in your dark place. So what we have learned about having tunnel vision is that We're able to focus and align ourselves when we're in these dark places. And so I want to give you a few tips. Number one, if you find yourself in a dark place and you are needing to develop your tunnel vision, number one, don't be afraid of the dark. Your eyes will always adjust to the darkness. Number two, even though they will adjust, don't get comfortable to the darkness. All living things need sunlight. We are never meant to stay in the tunnel for very long. Number three, The tunnel holds purpose. Do you know what the purpose is for you? What are you going to learn while you're in the tunnel? So even the adjustment has purpose. And then lastly, tunnels allow for you to focus and to block out distractions, people, places, and things. So if you're finding yourself right now in a tunnel, refocus and reframe your vision. Don't be afraid, but yet don't be comfortable. And once again, work your way to the light.